0: she asked me hey are you okay and i told her no i'm really hurt
1: welcome back i'm ashley your hostess for the sharp end a podcast brought to you by the american alpine club But before we get started, here's Josh with some information about American Alpine Club's Kragan Classic Series coming up.
0: Hi, I'm Josh. I'm here to talk to you about the American Alpine Club's Kragan Classic Series. These touring, three-day climbing festivals are celebrations of the fellowship that define our sport and our lifestyles. They are gatherings of the tribe. Powered by Camp USA, supported nationally by Scarpa, Arc'teryx, and Rock and Ice, These events unite climbers around the campfire at world-class climbing destinations, such as Shelf Road in Colorado, coming up October 21st through the 23rd, Moab, Utah, October 28th through the 30th, and Bishop, California, November 4th through the 6th. If any of these weekends sound good to you, go online and sign up in advance at AmericanAlpineClub.org. Hope to see you there.
1: Thanks, Josh. Yeah, I'm gonna to go to the one in Moab, so I hope to see everybody there too. And on with the show. So today I talked to a guy named Felipe, who is from Ecuador and was in the Wind River Range last month in August climbing with a friend of his that he randomly ran into just a few days before they went out climbing on this trip. Welcome to the show, Felipe. If you would, go ahead and introduce yourself.
0: Um, my name is Felipe Perano, i um, Ecuadorian climber. Most people know me as uh, Feli, which is short for Felipe. I've been climbing for the last uh, 15 or 16 years. I started climbing in my country, in Ecuador, and slowly made my way out uh, into bigger walls, which is what I like to climb the most, you know, Uh, the big walls, the climbs that take a couple days, the climbs that take a lot of effort to either get there and climb or just to climb it overall. Um, Yeah,
1: that's me. And you're currently in Ecuador?
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm in Ecuador right now. Good to be home in my home country.
1: Well, tell us what happened.
0: Uh, I had a very uh, serious finger injury while climbing in the Wind River Range in Wyoming. And uh, I had to fly back the next days after the accident because my finger was pretty much useless. Um so yeah, it is It is a small percentage of my body, you know, the small pinky finger of my right hand, but it's a part of my body nonetheless.
1: Yeah, exactly. So you were in the winds?
0: Yeah. I was hanging out in Colorado, you know, climbing all around uh, the Black Canyon and Rifle and Eldorado Canyon, like one of my favorite places. And I had planned for uh, taking a couple of weeks just uh, hanging around Boulder, you know, climbing at the gyms, uh, climbing in Boulder Canyon, climbing in Eldo. And uh, by some weird coincidences of life, I met one of my friends who I had climbed with her in Ecuador in year 2014, and I just randomly met her, and she told me, uh, hey, do you want to go into the Wind River Range tomorrow? I have a couple of friends that are traveling there as we speak, and I need a partner, uh, because apparently uh, some of her partners had bailed or like... Uh, went to do something else, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and it, it took me a while to actually make my mind. Uh, but at the last moment, I said, yes. I mean, let's go. Because sometimes also you just got to take the opportunity. Uh, so the next morning, she picked me up and we drove to the winds, cruising through Wyoming, big flats. And we finally made it to the trailhead uh, to get into the Cirque of the Towers. Anyway, we started the hike. Uh, we didn't actually make it to the Cirque that night. We made it uh, through this pass, which I remember correctly, it was called Jackass Pass. And that's when I saw, you know, this big, you know, super static wall, uh, Warbonnet, or Warbonnet, maybe it's pronounced that way, Warbonnet Peak, which like kind of blocks the entrance to the Cirque. And there were a couple of tents on its base, and I told my friend, "Hey, what we had uh, made a plan to climb one of the routes there, and I thought like, why don't we just you know camp here this night, wake up early the next day, climb the route here, which is you know a, a six or seven pitch route, it's not it's not a big route, um, and then we can just head down to the circuit for the for the next days. That seemed like a good plan considering we were kind of late and it was getting dark." The next day, we woke up around five, um, and it was very cold. So we decided to sleep for a couple more hours, and actually woke up maybe at seven, seven thirty. Which you know, it's it's kind of late. It's not the earliest you can wake up for a multi-pitch climb. So our route was called Black Elk, um, easy going, like straightforward route. Uh, it seemed from from below, it seemed very very. Uh, aesthetic. Apparently, it was a very popular route.
1: So yeah, they wake up a little bit later, 7.30. They eat breakfast. They hang their food. They tidy up camp. And they begin their hike to the base of the climb. It doesn't take them too long because they're camped pretty close. They go over some boulders. They go through a talus field. And eventually, they make it to the base of the climb. There are already two climbers there.
0: We started uh, the climb uh, following these two dudes that were in front of us The sun was out it wasn't cold it was kind of windy and you know as m- most uh, young climbers trying to you know impress their partners um, I just decided to lead take the first uh, two pitches in uh, which were kind of short pitches but nines or tens you know easy climbing uh, pretty straightforward out the cracks. So if I remember correctly, pitch number three uh, was a ten plus pitch, and I totally gave it to my friend. You know, hey, here you go, take care of this pitch. Uh, She started the pitch straightforward. You know, uh, placing gear. um, But yeah, she took a a a big you know amount of time. uh, For my perspective, maybe an hour, an hour and a half. Um, As soon as she got up, we we got kind of funneled into the other group of dudes that were. Heading for the crux pitch. So the crux pitch, it's, uh, it's an off-width. I think it was graded 5'11". Um, it might be uh, 100 feet or more. And it starts with a super cool hand crack, you know, very easy splitter, goes through a small roof, then goes through a big roof where the crack opens to uh, face the number threes. And then it becomes a big off-width, you know. Uh, it looked like, you know, Absolute fun from below, and that was my part our Our agreement was that I was gonna take the off with uh because it was a crocs pitch, and you know usually uh, the most experienced climber can take you know the crocs uh We had talked uh a little bit about the beta uh on the ground when we met uh these two old friends Andrew and Matt, and they had done the route, so they told us how many number fours are you bringing. And, you know, I just went out of, you know, super confidence. And I told her, oh, we only need two fours. And they were like, do you want another number four? And I was like, "Um, not really. We'll figure it out. Uh, So, yeah, trying, you know, to bring that uh, ego out as it usually happens. And usually climbers make mistakes because of that. uh, This was the perfect example. Um, Totally trying to, you know, be the badass uh, you know, impress my climbing partner, whatever. I just said, yeah, we don't need an extra number four. Um, so my friend made the belay. Uh, she pulled me up. Uh, this is to the base of pitch four, where which is the crux. And I remember as I climbed up uh, the, the pitch that she had led, I felt really, really tired. I felt dehydrated. Uh, I had been, you know, hanging from the wall for like an hour. So I kind of felt... um. Um, stiff, my muscles were not, you know, warm anymore, uh, my feet were kind of hurting, uh, so I kind of felt, you know, not in the best shape possible. As soon as I got to her um, belay, and I knew it was my turn, I totally told, told her, okay, let's do this. Uh, so we arranged a couple of pieces on the belay, we took the gear, and I told her, okay, let's do it. So I got into the crack. Um, the climbing of that crack went pretty well. Uh, a couple of cool jams. The first roof. Uh, you get a couple of pieces that are like fist size. Uh, but then I was taking them out because I knew that there was enough weed waiting for us uh, higher up. And I totally knew that I had to, you know, recycle a bit of the pieces. I think that the the most accurate word that uh, people use in the U.S. is like. Uh, leapfrogging or like taking one piece from below and putting it above you and repeating that process so you can like kind of save the gear
1: do you mean bumping the gear
0: bumping the gear that's yeah that was that's what i was looking for just bumping the gear um so i did that i did a lot of that it was fun i got to the first roof uh no problem fun moves i got to the second roof and it was absolute fun you know i was in my element i was feeling kind of tired Um, But I was, um, you know, just enjoying enjoying the moment. Um, It was so fun that I I also took my time to like yell down and tell my friend, hey, like take a couple of pictures, Uh, which I know it's not the smartest thing to do, especially when you're like, you know, climbing uh, something that's going to be, you know, challenging like a roof. Uh, And yeah, she actually took her phone out and took a couple of pictures, which are, you know, fun, you know, posing, hey, hi, saying waving to the camera. Not smart, but you know, fun. And as I got up the roof, I got into this big off-width, which looked super cool, super like splitter off with for maybe uh, 15 meters. So that would be maybe 60 feet or like 50 feet. Um, so I got in, I had two number fours, my brand new ultralight and another one that was, actually it belonged to my friend. And as, as soon as I started climbing the off-width, you know, turning from like hands and lay backings and, you know, good hand jams to off with, tends to be an interesting transition where you got to push a lot of technique. Because if you don't use the off with technique, you're going to get speed out. Um, so the off-width started and I was using two number fours, putting one above and, you know, bumping the other one as high as I could because I knew I only had two, and that time, I remembered, I was like, oh, okay, maybe I should have brought a third one, I probably got to the half of the off-width, when I started feeling pretty tired, uh, my left leg, um, which was deep inside the off-width crack, I uh, started feeling very, very tired, so I was now pushing from, you know, using the off-width technique to trying to, like, lay back or gaston with my shoulders outside the off with to take some breaths in, rest, shake my arms, trying to take one number four from below and put it as high as I can. And then I made a couple of more moves. And I remember I tried to reach down for the number four that was below so I can bump it up. And I felt very tired doing that. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to leave it there. And I'm just going to run out the entire thing because I was probably three meters from the top so that was um 10 feet from the top I was almost there the off with finishes into this like sort of slabby uh thing that puts you up into the anchors and I could see the other uh party above us like kind of close um so I just decided to go for it you know one of those thoughts that you don't even I mean you don't get a lot of time to think about it you just do Uh, But as soon as I felt tired, I just, okay, I'm just going to run it out. So I jumped my left leg into the off width. I was gastoning with my right hand, gastoning with my left hand, trying to make some fists in, but the crag was pretty, pretty wide still. So trying to do double stacks and hand and fist stacks, uh, trying to progress slowly. And I found myself maybe, um, I would say, six feet or 10 feet above my last piece. Um, and I remember I had put in my right hand deeply, deeply into the crack. Like I was arm barring now with my right arm, uh, very, very deep into the crack. My left foot was coming sort of inside the crack, but it wasn't a a solid jam. And I remember I thought about, I was like, okay, this foot is not going to hold. And as I tried to put up my right foot above it to kind of get some more uh, weight stabilization of of like my body weight inside the crag, I slipped. So my left leg, uh, my left foot slips. And as I remember, I took the fall. I remember when I yelled, either take or falling, don't exactly remember what. But as I slipped, I felt a big bump of my right hand into something. And at the time, I didn't know what it was. And I took the big vapor and I ended up, as I had told my friend, below the roof. So yeah, it was it was it was definitely a good flight. Uh definitely a long flight. Uh probably twenty to fifteen meters, so that would be, yeah, maybe like forty or fifty feet. And as soon as I, you know, bumped my my right side of my body against the wall and the roof, I saw my right hand and my finger, like my small pinky was completely torn out. Like all the skin was just recoiled into like the, the the upper part and I felt a horrible pain in like my palm, the palm area, and right below my left finger. And I was like, w- like what? Like how on earth? And I remember I took my hand, pressed it very very hard with my with my left hand, and I saw my friend below and she asked me, Hey, are you okay? And I told her, no, I'm really hurt. Like, I I immediately saw my hand. I was like, okay, this is not going to go. We better uh, bail. I mean, that was, you know, my first thought. And yeah, I remember that in the moves of the fall, my finger uh, got stuck in between my last number four and the rock. So I saw down to my friend and I told her, hey, sorry, trip's over. Uh, Please lower me. So when you get hurt, uh, you don't really, you know, think about what pieces of gear you're bailing on. Like, I mean, should I try to retrieve him? Should I just get down? Mm -mm. For me, it was okay. You just got to get down. Um, So, yeah, she she brought me down. And on my way down, I took all the pieces of gear that I could. uh, But I was lowered on the two number fours that I was using pretty much. It was just a lot of blood. Uh, pieces of skin and flesh had like come out from my pinky to my other fingers, uh, so it was very dis- disgusting. And um, I don't know why I took the you know the time to take a couple of pictures, make a small video, like hey hey this is me with my you know destroyed finger. We're here in the winds. Uh, um, I felt kind of bad, I felt kind of sad at that moment because I was like you dumbass, like this is like your last trip of the summer, uh, last, you know, trip of the season and you're getting hurt and now you need to get back home and back home, you know, all your plans and projects that you have are going to, you know, be trashed because you can't climb. I mean, it was a serious injury uh, and obviously that was, you know, in my mind, uh, big time.
1: Yeah, but it's an injury that you can certainly recover from. Um, and, and you didn't even know at the time if it was broken, if you had torn tendons, but you so you go to the doctor, you go home, you go to the doctor, um, you get X-rays done, and then the doctor comes into the room. And what and what does he say?
0: You got a metal piece inside your, your finger. Like there's a, there's a tiny piece of metal.
1: The doctor takes a knife. Slices the finger open, takes tweezers, and pulls out a piece of metal. They're not exactly sure where the metal came from, but they think it came from the paint on the brand new cam as he fell. So what were some of the things that you've learned coming out of this experience?
0: Now, a lot of thinking about it, a lot of, you know, trying to figure out things that I did right, things that I did wrong, Uh, Eventually, the conclusion is that, yeah, it was an accident, and accents do happen. But I can totally point out some contributing factors to this accident. And I can totally start uh, with, you know, number one. Number one, climbing has become for me something uh, of a call. You know, the wall calls you. I mean, you feel the passion, you feel the inspiration to want to go and climb a specific wall. Or a specific route this place like the winds were not calling me they were they were just you know an an obscure part of my head that was like okay this exists but i didn't feel the call and i i am now positive uh that um if you do hear this call if you do feel this the passion to go to a place then you should definitely go you should totally go but if you don't then you should really put in a balance um what are the, the, the external factors that are trying to, you know, bring you there? Another one, uh, it's also uh, try to climb for yourself. Um, I guess the message here is, you know, if if you're you know or pretend to be, you know, the alpha climber and trying to, you know, put all this knowledge and throw all this experience into your friend, then you gotta do it in a much more chill environment. Um especially if you haven't climbed with your partner multi-page routes, or if you haven't actually done, you know, big trot stuff with your, with your partner, then you got to think about it twice. So yeah, I guess, you know, try not to show off. I could have easily taken another number four from my two bodies at the floor. I could have easily told her, uh, okay, let's rest, let's hydrate. Uh, let's take a chill before, you know, actually climbing the crux page. Um, I could have taken some uh, layers in to protect me from the wind. Um, I could have just asked for a take, you know, instead of, you know, trying to prove, hey, I'm the badass climber. I'm not going to take and I'm not going to fall and I'm going to run out the entire off with crux. I could have just taken, you know, hey, take, that's it. Um, But I didn't. I didn't because uh, that's just how the ego works sometimes. You just got to go and you know, prove to others how bad as you are. Um, so I guess the learning there is climb for yourself. If you want to prove something, prove it to yourself. Uh, but you should do that in a place that it's, you know, not uh, out of your comfort zone, so to speak, if you're climbing as a team and your partner doesn't have, you know, that much experience. And um, I guess another thing is uh, consider the energy levels, you know, um, we had done, it's not the biggest hike, it's not the roughest hike, but it was a long hike after a long drive that put us to the base camp. Uh, we woke up, you know, kind of kind of late. Uh, we took our time. Um, we were hanging a lot, you know, in the blaze, getting hit by sun, getting uh, hit by wind. And that's just part of it, I understand that. But I would aim to say here is that, you should consider your energy level. Like my, my legs felt pretty tired after the hike. And then if you're trying to push, you know, 11A off widths, you need a lot of uh, like leg strength. You need your muscles fit and strong to endure that kind of climbing. And I wasn't because I was tired um, and I was dehydrated. And so those kind of things totally make you learn. Uh, so, yeah, I guess the last point and one of the most important is never underestimate wow. Well. Um, I really want to go back into the winds, hopefully next summer, uh, and get that black elk.
1: So Felipe is doing just fine. His finger is slowly healing, but he's been staying active in a number of other ways. (laughs) He is hoping to get that number four ultralight cam back so he can return it to his friend with or without the finger parts and the chipped paint. If you did happen to find that camelot up on Black Elk in the ever-so-striking Wyoming's very own Wind River Range, send the American Alpine Club an email. That's accidents at AmericanAlpineClub.org, and I will try and get it back to him. If you have a suggestion for the show, or better yet, you want to be on the show, just shoot that same email address a note. Again, that's accidents at AmericanAlpineClub.org. I'd love to hear from you until next time play hard and be smart.